Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here today to talk about a game that I'm sure we would all rather be forgetting, a 3-2 loss to Bournemouth. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind all of you, follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheelie Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a very nice review on iTunes or Spotify because we're very good boys and we deserve it. Steal your parents' uh, cell phones and leave us a review. Steal your grandparents' cell phones and leave us a review. Steal your wives or girlfriends or boyfriends or husbands' cell phones and leave us a review because we deserve it. Um, Yes, so we have a very ugly game against Bournemouth to talk about. After that, we're going to be covering the -the off-the-field atmosphere at Spurs and where we think the blame resides for that. And finally, we're going to be discussing uh, the feelings surrounding Mauricio Pochettino and if bringing him back would solve more problems than it would create. And after that, which I guess means that other one will be finally, uh, and this would be finally, uh, we would be answering some of our more questionable listener um, questions, I guess. Anyway, um, on that note, I am joined this week by both of my illustrious co-hosts. We have a full panel coming to us live for this exciting game. Uh, coming to us from the slopes of South Florida, he's hard to find in a blizzard. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm good. I, I like this thing that you're doing where you, you try to give this show like some semblance of structure on the front end to like show that we've done some planning and effort and that we're you know going to follow a, a, a clear path to the end of the show as opposed to just sit here and bullshit for 75 minutes and then go, oh, we should stop now. Well, that is also what will happen. So, you know, but I appreciate you just putting that out on Front Street for our listeners. Look, I'm all about pulling back the curtain and letting you see inside what it's really like to podcast. I appreciate it because not enough people are doing that. Yeah, no one does this. It's a very niche thing. Thank you, bro. (laughs) And uh, coming to us from the ATL, he's got a son on the way by the name of Bamboo. It is Ben Daniels. Ben, welcome back to the podcast. I had a panic attack when he said I had a son on the way. <laughs> I was like, what? What don't I know? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> you missed a lot in last week's podcast. <laughs> man. Um, other than that, things are good. <laughs> well, you came back for a rip-roaring uh, good time because we have a fun game to talk about. Uh, yeah, uh, this could have gone really well. Well, I don't know about really well for Spurs. We could have come out of this with three points, and instead we conspired to lose it. It was, uh, I don't know, we, we were talking about this game afterwards, and there was a lot of discussion about whether or not it was actually not the worst, like, not a, not as bad a performance as the scoreline would indicate. Ben, how bad was it? Yeah, I mean, I think... There were two really solid stretches of Spurs play in that match, which you can't always point to in games that we throw away to shitty opposition. But when we came out of the gate strong, I mean, Sun and Perisic managed to link up together for a goal. Like, 
this is a looked like a beginning of a bright new dawn and then you know we had the forgettable Davis and Sanchez period and then changed that and went to a back four brought on Dan Juma and suddenly looked really good again um it didn't end up mattering obviously um because we lost but there were some fun bits of play and this is not to give Stellini any credit or say that I want him to continue in the job but we've looked worse against worse teams very recently I want to yeah. We're going to talk broadly about this, but Brian, I want you to address something in particular that I've seen discussed among Spurs fans. Have I don't, this might be too strong? Has Stellini fixed Son? Uh, no, I don't think he's fixed him. I just think that he's accepted that there are ways to get him into the positions that he needs to be in with the ball. Like, I, I think what I'm what I'm seeing, and I think kind of what we talked about the other week, is like. We're just making a tactical adjustment. And Son is still Son. Like, he did this with his national team. Like, he's he wasn't broken. He was just, like, getting the ball at midfield instead of getting it in the final third. And, you know, he was trying to pop up at the back post to win headers as opposed to getting the ball at the top of the 18 and trying to shift it from one foot to the other and have a shot. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't think he's fixed him. He's recognized what the issue was and fixed the team. Uh, I don't like saying that. Um, he's, I don't know. He's adjusted. How's that? Yeah. And I think in addition to him seeming to get the balls in areas he is better in, um, there were stories that came out after Conte got sacked that he was putting them through such an absurd training regimen that included them running like a 5K before every match. And when, you know, your two-star attackers are both, like, 30, um, that is just needlessly putting miles on their legs. And if that's true, which, you know, given, like, the sources of the reporting, it seems like it was true, um, it's very possible that Stellini has stopped doing that and Sun is just fresher and less tired for more of the game than he had been. I think Sun still has a ways to go, but I think you guys are right, like, we're, not, we're playing to his strengths. We're probably not running him into the ground before matches, like you said, Ben. Uh, to me, the last two, three matches, I guess, like what it tells me is like I am. I, I never really bought the idea that Sun was just physically cooked, or at least like that was the reason. Like, I, I did not think he fell off a cliff. Like, you can convince me there's a little bit of decline, but I never thought he fell off a cliff. And. These two matches, these two three matches, have convinced me that you know if he is utilized properly next year, I see no reason to believe he can't be a productive member of the team, even if he's not what he was two three years ago. So, I am pleased with that. Uh, what do we What do we think of how Dan June is being utilized? <laughs> is he being utilized? I mean, he was Finally. at the end of the match. Like, but I mean, is he is he a super sub or is it? Just a guy who needs to be playing more minutes, period, full stop. Um, hmm. I think if everybody in our front line was playing really well, that he's just the super sub. And, like, if Richarlison was healthy and if uh, Kulisevsky had been playing well, like, that's his role in, in this group. Like, he's very clearly, you know, number five um, of, those, of those five. But... Everybody sucks right now, 
and he has the freshest legs. And basically every time he's on the pitch, he's doing good things. Um, you know, if we're going to try to to continue to play on the counter, um, he I think he's the best in that system. I think he gets the ball forward. He pops up in dangerous areas. Um, I don't know. I'm interested in seeing more of him. I'm not saying that, like, we should sign him for the $25 million or whatever it is this summer, but, like, I'd like to see what he's got over the next six, seven games. You know, I don't know. I think he isn't, you know, maybe one of our first three attackers on the pitch, but I don't think he's like markedly worse than Richarlison. And he does things different than Richarlison enough that, you know, he might be our fourth best attacker. Um, I mean, at the very least, we should be using him as a substitute because we should be using substitutes and getting fresh legs on the pitch. Like it made a huge difference when that happened. But, you know, seeing the way we played in a back four um, in this match, like there's room to get four attackers on the pitch finally. And, you know, I think like with Sun kind of playing as more of the striker and Kane kind of dropping into that hole, you know, you put Kulishevsky and Dan Juma on the wings around him. That feels like something that can work. And given the state of our back line right now with Longley going off injured and, um, Davids and Sanchez probably not making another appearance anytime soon. Um, I think it's reasonable to think that we might try a back four again. And I think if that's the case, I would like to see us start with, with that front four and see how it looks. You would uh, rather uh, go with that front four as opposed to like a three-man midfield? Or is it just kind of like six of one, half dozen of the other? At this point? I mean, we're pretty short on midfielders also. And, you know, I think if we were going to put SAR on the pitch ever, we might have seen that by now. Um and I, you know, I think honestly, like a two-man midfield of Hoybjerg and Saar is also just as appealing to me as seeing a three-man midfield that also includes Oliver Skip, who has not been very good lately. Um, so, I mean, I think looking at where our talent lies, I would like to see it kind of shifted forward, um, you know, and playing more good attackers rather than a few mediocre midfielders or mediocre center backs. Um because I think we can still like have a functional shape um, that's defensively sound, but and if nothing else, it's like we've got six or seven games to try things and see what this team is capable of. You know, there's a lot of concerns about like, well, we bought Pedro Paro, he doesn't really defend super well, can he even play in a back four? Like he was just as whatever in a back four as he was in a back five. Maybe we should take some time to see that as we head into the summer and start looking at managers and figuring out what we need to buy. Uh, you know, these are questions we could be, we could be answering with this time. Speaking of questions you'll be answering. Uh, okay. So Fabio Paratici is hanging in a cell in Naples awaiting judgment right now. If Daniel Levy put you in charge of Spurs and you have to make a decision today, do you pick up, I think Dan Juman, it's like 27 million or something like that. There's a clause deep for that or less money. Do you, do you try to keep Dan Juman next year? Like right now, like sitting here right now today, not knowing who our manager is going to be next year. Is that a clause you pick up? Paratici being in jail was not on the outline that I was given at the start of the show. I don't really yeah, know. I got to throw this, this You're really throwing here. me for a loop here. Uh, no, I, I, I think, yes. I mean, like, in a vacuum, I don't know that it's like the best way to spend our money, but I think 
I think he is 25 million pounds good. I think if you look at like the market for him last summer, it was closer to what we paid for Richarlison um, off the back of last year than 25 million. Like he's older than you'd like and hasn't had a lot of great seasons and we haven't seen a lot of him at Spurs, but I I like him enough as a player to think 25 million is pretty good value for what he gives you. Yes. And and for me, it's just like uh, I I just don't know that we've seen enough to to even be able to make a call. Like I I, I guess if I if I'm running Spurs, uh, I'm I'm gonna punt that decision. And but I'm gonna tell whoever's managing to, that like he has to play. Fabio Paratici is hanging by his fingernails in in a That's cell. Fine. He can off do that. the coast of Milan. You don't. You don't have time to wait. Like if you have to, like right now, you're gonna buy him or not? What would you do? Uh, I would say no. I think because I, I just there's got to be somebody else out there. Like Ben See, said, you know, the age profile is maybe not quite where you want. But he's you know. not that old. Like that's the no. Thing. I understand, but like you know, we're we're at a point with the squad where we're kind of in a transition period, and you want to get younger. Um, you know, do you want you know, Kane and Son being, you know, 31 and 30 or whatever. Um, you probably want players closer in age to, uh, like, Kulisevsky than you want, like, I don't know, 27-year-old James Madison. Here's, here's I like 27-year-old James Madison. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. But here's my I thing with like Dan Juma, and we can move on after this. It's just that I think I really like the way he changes play. And I think one of the things I find really frustrating about our – lack of willingness to use him and I'm making assumptions about his fitness and how ready he is and whatever. But one reason I'd like to see him on the pitch more is like, I feel like he is the kind of player, if we're not going to start him, he's the kind of player who can help us take control of a game. His game allows us to do that. Even I think you look at Richarlson, that is a player who I think even in your most charitable interpretation of him, that is a guy who's about end product. He's not going to be like possessing and making, I mean, he's going to do shitty stuff that helps you, but you know, it's not about possessing the ball and moving it around and whatever. He, especially right now, really changes the way we play. And I think he offers us a different look. And like you said, Ben, I think if you look at the market, like, what are we going to buy? Are we going to buy another fucking Brian Heal? Or are we going to buy, like, Clinton and G, you know, in Kudu? Like, I feel like we keep trying to do these discount money ball solutions, and they never work. And I don't think... You know, maybe we pay a little above freight for Dan Juma, but having him hanging around isn't the worst thing in the world. And I don't think what we're paying for him, either in transfer fee or salary, and I'm making some assumptions here, is going to prohibit us from giving other guys minutes or spending money in, in ways that it should be spent. Like, he's not blocking some, you know, academy wonder kid who should be getting minutes. So I, I, I think you do it, because I don't think, I think you're going to have trouble finding a better fourth or fifth attacker for that price on the market so unless he just fucking hates it here and doesn't want to be here which i could also believe um you know this is a guy who's one year removed from being like one of the best players in the champions league so i i, I think you should keep him around i've been impressed enough with his performances with us that I, I would do it especially if you can talk that transfer number down which i don't think is you know unreasonable yeah i mean for me 20 million pounds and 25 million pounds don't look meaningfully different enough like so i just say i'm fine with the 25 like, but you're right would you pay, right. would you pay we paid for brian heel for him like i mean minus eric Lamella. like yeah i do that like right it's like yeah we've done a lot of speculating and that's good to do like we should be buying 
guys who are young at around that price, but getting a guy who has the potential to be like, you know, double digit goals and assists guy, you know, off the bench as a rotation piece, that's, that's just really good value. And the thing is, is in the future, hopefully we'll have a manager who knows how to use substitutes and knows how to rotate and God willing, we'll have multiple competitions next year. Um, that will need just a deeper roster to compete in. And and somebody needs to take Lucas's minutes, honestly. Right. So, Brian, looking at this match, it all kind of went, like like we were saying, it, it started off bright, and it all kind of went haywire. I don't think it's excusable, but is it really just down to Sanchez coming on? Um, I mean, I think I... <sighs> Yes and no. So, so I think it's you. You start with the long lay injury, obviously, which then forces you to switch Romero over to the left and put Davinson on the right. Okay, and so like I, with what we had available, I guess the only option other than that was, well, I guess we could switch to a back four at that point, or you bring on Tanganga, and I don't know that that's better. Um, so, so now look, we, we saw what the, the back four did at the end of the game. And so we can, with the benefit of hindsight, we can make that decision. That was obviously what we should have done. Um, but you know, uh, Sanchez comes on and yeah, I mean, he's at least partially at fault on the first goal. He's definitely at fault on the second. Um, I don't know. I, it, it, it wasn't a good match for him. Um, and we didn't put him in a great situation either. Yeah, I mean, I think as much as Davinson being a problem on the pitch, he wasn't on the pitch when we lost the game. And the way we managed our substitutions was a big part of why we were struggling. You know, we had to burn two subs to get him on and off the pitch. And not just two subs, but two sub windows. So... 77th minute, we use our last sub to bring our Charleston. At that point, we're playing a 4-1-4, or 4-1-5, basically. Um, and Hoiberg is our only midfielder. He is a guy who's played 4,000 minutes for the third season in a row. He just is looking like Ian is a guy who's been catching a lot of heat for poor performances. Like, if you're going to do that, you know, I would... I would have liked to have seen Stellini bring on Saar for Hoiberg and get some fresh legs as the only person in midfield because we were just very, very vulnerable to transition. You know, the flip side is, is you use that window when you take off Davinson and bring on a Charleston then and save yourself a sub so that if we go ahead, we're not now playing with such a vulnerable midfield and we have the opportunity to make another change and, you know, that really fucked us. Like, the sub-window thing is a really stupid rule, especially when you have, like, first-half injuries. Like, it's annoying that you're basically now limited to two opportunities to impact the game just because somebody got hurt. Stupid, stupid game. But that's the rules, and we did not manage that well. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot about this game that wasn't managed well. Um, but... I guess if we're going to give any credit to Cellini, he, he finally did try the back four, I guess. Um, I, I mean, his hand was forced mostly, but he did it. 
And, you know, Conte was stubborn about it. I don't think we've done it really at all this year. Conte did it a little bit last year when we were chasing games late on, but we've very much refused to do it this year. And so it was, like Ben said earlier, it was nice to see us have a bunch of attackers on the field. That was a cool new thing that we tried. That was fun. But, I mean, everything else about this game was just horrible to watch. What's frustrating is we almost got away with it. I mean... You know, if Richarlson's header at the end is just a little bit further over, you know, we're we're t- we're probably not thrilled with the performance overall, but we're thrilled with the three points we managed to talk know. about a Stellini masterclass. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about like that picture of Jesus that the woman sort of scrubbed over. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, it's not. I don't know. It's it's a very. It's it's I don't think Stelini is a good manager. I think he's sort of dealing with the wreckage of Conte. It's 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 all a mess. Like I think Pedro Porro is a great example. Like that was a total mixed bag from him. I don't think he's being set up in a position to really succeed, although I'm probably making excuses for our scouting project. But you know, on the one hand, you know, he's gonna let you get caught with your pants down at the other end of the field. Every now and then. On the other hand, like having him do shit around the box sure is a nice change of pace. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciated, you know, what he brings to the attack uh, the last couple games. I mean, he's been in the final third. He's been pumping crosses into the box. He's been trying little cutbacks that no one's ever there for. He's been doing stuff like I and I think that. In an ideal world, with Spurs playing the kind of football that I think the three of us envision them playing, you want a guy that does that. Like, you're willing to trade that for a little bit of defensive instability. Um, and, you know, in this game, I mean, I guess he was sort of at fault for um, that first goal. He dribbles into three people, but, like, also... What else was he supposed to do there? Like no one else was moving. And then once the ball gets turned over, everybody on the team just kind of goes and lets lets the Bournemouth players kind of dribble right through him. I I just he's been fine. And I I think pinning things on him or, or like, you know, saying that he's disappointed just really kind of ignores all the others and like uh, institutional factors around him. Like he's been totally fine with what he's been given to work with. I think you're letting him off the hook a little bit for that goal. Like, he really fucked up, but I, he has such a good presence around the box, and he has such diversity of attacking tricks in his bag and a diversity of delivery, and, like, he's not just getting up there and, like, spamming crosses into the box all day. Like, he's doing different things. And, like, our attack was generally pretty effective this match. You know, we had 20-plus shots. We had over two expected goals. We haven't seen a lot of that lately, and he's a big part of why that attack is functioning as well as it is. It's just the defense needs to be able to do its job. And there's, there's a level at which he's just, like, you're, you're just accepting that he's going to hang out to dry sometimes. And I, I, I'm not going to judge. I mean, he walked into a team that was a little bit of a mess, and I, I'm not going to judge him entirely until we have, like, something, I don't want to say a competent manager, because we might not have that next year, but, like, you know, till he comes out of a preseason in, a, in a, some sort of coherent scheme that we've been planning for, which maybe we won't see. But 
you know, I think how he performs over the next few months of the next season is going to be what's really instructive about him. Because I'm not, I've seen a lot of people say he can't play out of a back four. Now, maybe he can't play out of a back four against, I don't know, Manchester City. But if he can play out of a back four against, you know, every team outside of the top six, then, you know, there's a lot of value there. I mean, and, look, you know, Liverpool plays Trent Alexander-Arnold and has played Trent Alexander-Arnold as a right back for forever. And he is not a good defender. And he's a very good attacker. And what do they do? You know, they shove their most defensive midfielder over there. Like Fabinho drops into the right back space during attacks. You know, Henderson covers that space in midfield. You know, like there's ways that you can play that, you know, uh, account for that sort of weakness. Like, and if you're, if you're any good as a manager, you build that into your system. I'm not saying that Poro is on the same level as Alexander Arnold, but if he's a good attacking outlet for you and you think that he can help your attack function, then you find a way to make your midfield and your defense cover for his deficiencies. Uh, you know, in the same way that we have Harry Kane cover for our midfielders deficiencies. Like you just do it because that's what makes this team better. And I think to to already say like, oh, he can't be a, an out and out fullback. Like this is just ridiculous. Like, would it require some adjustments to to you know where Hoybeerg positions himself or where Benton Kerr plays or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. But like, we can do those things. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We've it would be been... nice to have a manager who had like an idea of like what he's working with and then sets the team up to try and do it and cover for each other in ways that support that tactical vision and not just reheat Conte's leftovers and it's like no we only play one way we must play three three uh three four three and that's it and it's just like oh okay fuck there we go I think we have been for this podcast in particular shockingly positive about this performance um let's bring it down to earth a little bit uh Ben is there any way this team finishes top four no I mean yeah, like another Munich air disaster happening oh, to our Jesus rivals. Jesus like, I mean, I'm not wishing that to happen. Let me be clear. I'm just saying, like, no. <laughs> I, I mean, if we beat Newcastle... Uh, someone doesn't like analogies and metaphors and uh, whatever anymore. <laughs> I mean, look... You can edit we beat... this out, right? <laughs> <laughs> not anymore! Anyway. <laughs> uh, look, if we beat Newcastle this weekend... We're level on points with them. They'll still have a game in hand, I guess. But uh, I, I don't know. I, it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility. It, it is starting to feel like less and less likely. Um, what's what's frustrating is despite everything that's happened this year, there's been like two or three winnable games in the last month or two where if we just gotten three points out of like, say, this game, Everton, I don't know, there's probably another game or two you could throw in that pile that we could have won three points out of. If you, Southampton. Yeah, exactly. Wolves. We, we would, yeah, but not even all of them. Leicester. There's like a few of them. My point is, like, we would probably be in a really good position to finish fourth. And now we need, like, I would say way too much to go our way for that. To We're going to have to beat too many teams that we probably can't beat. And we also probably need, like, Newcastle and United to really start throwing points away. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I've seen us do this so many times in recent weeks that I'm not confident that all of a sudden we're going to win out. You yeah. know, like that's a big part of it. And then the other place is right. It's like there's Aston Villa, Brighton, Liverpool, Newcastle, who are all like right in the mix for that last Champions League spot. And 
most of them are in better form than we are right now. So like a lot of people have to blow it in a very yeah. short number of games. And, and I don't believe that we played well enough that it's like, okay, that was a bad result, but we really could have kind of figured some shit out. Like we're going to build on this and move forward. I mean, the vibes just are, are terrible right now. So, well, and I mean, we've got, you know, three games in seven days and it's at Newcastle, then hosting United and then at Anfield. And, you know, Liverpool, not the same as they, they have been, but like, we don't win at Anfield. And I mean, Liverpool still hangs seven on people this year. And like, I don't like our chances. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think after, uh, after that seven day stretch, we'll have a lot clearer picture of where we stand in the pecking order. I mean, mean, if we win three games against three rivals for that spot, like, yeah, that maybe makes the calculus better. I don't think it's going to happen, but. You know, it's like for me, it's like just stay out of the conference league or, you know, like one way or another, stay out of the conference league. And like for me, it's just like we got to start the shit over next year. I'd love to be in the Champions League next year. But like. I mean, it really would behoove us to have like one of those weird Chelsea years where you just only play domestic competitions. Like as much as I like enjoy the Europa League and like. I like European nights and I like if I, if we, I thought there was any chance of us winning the Europa League, I would be like, yeah, whatever. Like, I mean, there is a chance of us winning the Europa League. The question is, is like, is our manager going to take it seriously or, you know, whatever. I, 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 but the, the point of it is, is like, I really do think with all the miles and minutes that have been on some of these guys legs, like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but also um, we're trying to recruit like 27 new signings according to uh, people on the internet and um, a new manager and a new director of football and um, you know maybe not having European football is bad for that yeah the conference league makes it so much worse cause it's just I don't know a trophy's a trophy I shouldn't turn my nose up at it but like I thought it'd be fine when we qualified for it and then being in it it was just like oh this is terrible get me out of here <laughs> Um, Jose Mourinho has a has a European another European trophy thanks to the Conference League. Yeah, well, you know. But for us, he lost to a guy who's or a team whose manager was in jail. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Fuck that competition. <laughs> Fuck Jose. So let's move on to some of the off the pitch stuff, which is Davidson Sanchez got a pretty rough go of it from Spurs fans during the match. It has been pointed out. In several forums, uh, notably the extra inch, that a lot of our scapegoats tend to be black. There's maybe a racial element to some of this. How do you feel about the treatment that Davidson received? Brian, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, and uh, I I think – you know, uh, the point that I was making was I, th- I feel like booing is somewhat more prevalent in American sports, including like booing your own team even. Um, so so I was, I guess, a little bit surprised by some of the discourse around this. That being said, um, it's not a good look. Like he was obviously struggling. He was obviously upset, uh, you know, when he came off the pitch. Like, you know, we're not you're not doing anything in the stadium to pick this team up and push it forward by standing there and booing a player who is, you know, by all accounts, a very nice man, a great teammate. And, you know, for part of this season, weren't we talking about his crazy 
you know, streak of how little we'd conceded every time he was on the pitch. So it's just like really, it's just really stupid. Like, look, he played bad. Uh, you know, he was, you know, at least partially at fault for the one and and definitely at fault for the second. I get it. But I, I guess my thing is ultimately at the end of the day, you want your team to win these games. Right. And so, like, as a fan at the stadium, what is your booing accomplishing there? Like, you know, this this isn't he, he was already off the field. So he he was gone. He he didn't have to even be in your consciousness for the next you know, 32 minutes of that match. Um, and it, it just kind of really made everything seem really kind of weird and sour for a little while. Yeah, I mean, from an atmosphere perspective, it's just like the definition of not helping. You know, you can't do a lot when you're in the fan, when you're a fan, but like in the stadium, like you're there to be a supporter and support the team. Like that's what you should be doing. Or you shouldn't go to games, frankly. Just don't go. If that's the attitude you're going to bring, stay at home. Um, you know, I and I say this as someone who's like happy to like lob bombs at anybody and everybody on Twitter from the comfort of my couch. But you know, I think it's meaningfully different when you're just like talking shit online to avoid than when you're booing a man directly or you're like on someone's Instagram, you know, harassing them off social media. Like apparently we did to Pedro Poro after that game as well. Um, it's just like you're there's a weird sense of entitlement that has crept into this fan base in a way that I don't feel like used to be there, but you know, there's some combination of us being bad ticket prices being expensive, you know, the kinds of people who go to match days are maybe not the same kinds of people who are used to just like singing and clapping no matter what, but Ultimately, it seems like we have really trended as a fan base towards seeing ourselves as consumers who are owed a product and feel entitled to bitch and moan about it at the players whose fault it largely isn't, you know, when things are going badly. And it's just, yeah, it's not a good look. It's not a good place to be. It's not the kind of fandom I want to be a part of. And I don't understand who would want to be a part of because it's not fun. That's not making the experience any better. Like I've been to a lot of like shitty MLS games where people are just like singing the whole way through. I'm not trying to hold up MLS as like some great sporting institution, but like it's the future of football, but like there, you know, like if nothing else, you're out there for a day in the crowd with your fellow supporters for this thing you ostensibly love, like have a nice time with it. You know, it's, 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 it's just ugly. What what I don't, what I don't get is, like, these fans know how to boo Daniel Levy. Like, you know how to boo, you know how to sing for Mauricio Pochettino. Like, there are ways to establish, to, there are ways to communicate your unhappiness that aren't targeting the guys on the pitch. Like you said, the field, the, the players on the field. And I know we, we, we've talked about some of the stuff about Levy trends in some directions that aren't helpful either, but... My point is, like, you're not punch like, chanting about how management sucks isn't punching down in the way that chanting about how the players suck is punching down. And I think we all understand if there's, like, a groan in the stands after, like, a bad giveaway or a rotten play, I think that's one thing. But, like, actively targeting a player who's not antagonizing the fans. I think there's, like, a very big difference between 
a guy's just not having a good day and someone's like not respecting you. And I'm oh. not going to go any further. Yeah, that, Greg's but. carving out the Indomble exception. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, well, you know, you got you got to cut the slice for yourself. Oh, you can't let everyone have a four piece, slices but. for Tongi, one slice for yourself. I would never, Brian, I would never make that joke. No, but I think there is a difference between like someone is being disrespectful to the fans and getting a response from that. And, you know, just someone's having a bad day at the office. Like, I don't think the problem with Davidson Sanchez or Harry Winks or Tanganga, it is not that they are not trying or dedicated. It is that they are not good and they have probably not been set up for success, certainly in Davidson Sanchez's case, where he has been used like, I don't know, I, I don't know exactly offhand, but probably like twice in the last like six months or something like that. He is not playing a lot. He is not in rhythm. He is not really a part of this team, frankly. That's and, not true. He was Conte's favorite 85th minute substitution. Yeah, well, fair enough. So, you know, no, it's, it's not like, it's not Davidson's fault. He's been here for six years. It's the club's fault that a guy who has demonstrated for a really long time that he's not up to the standard is the like club, part of this roster. I don't like, I, I hear, I hear fans say sometimes like Daniel even should have moved him on. And on like the one hand, I feel like there's the implication, like we should have made money off this guy and gotten him out of here. And like, I don't think that's the case, but they should have found a way to like, dude, you don't need to be, it's like, you know, like Tangango, what's he doing here? Clearly not up to snuff. It's a little different. Cause he's, he was a player in our Academy and whatever, but like, I don't know. Did, did first of all, did Davidson sign like a? Did he sign an extension with us, or did he just sign like an eighty-year contract? Like, yeah, no, Todd he definitely Bully signed him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he definitely signed an extension. I think well, probably after the Champions League season. Well, why? Like, I mean, well, I, I mean, like, he look, he played his first a lot. Season here was good. It is never. We, no one has been happy with him since that first season yeah. here. I mean, like, like, except Mauricio Pochettino and Jose Mourinho. <laughs> I mean, he was like 22 at that point, and he had had a good season. So I get it, but like it's been four years since then. Yeah, you know, the Champions League was a long time ago. Yeah, I, I just, you know, the thing is, is just like, like you said, it's not his fault. Like, what is he supposed to do about all this? Like, he's a professional. He was prepared. He was ready when he came on. And and, and lest we forget, he was really good at the end of that. Like, or at least like wildly exceeded our expectations and helped help Spurs qualify for the Champions League when Romero went out at the end of last season. Well, and at the beginning of this year, it was like seven matches in a row with Dav- Davinson and the team where we didn't concede or something. And it's just like, everyone's like, look how good he is. And it's like, is he though? But then he's barely played. But, but my point is he could be just not, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just like you said, Ben, booing him doesn't help. I can't speak to... You know, if there is there some subconscious racism going on for a lot of fans, I am almost certain like, you know, there's stereotypes that make it easy for fans to believe about certain players from certain parts of the world. I am sure that is existing there and has existed for other players. I don't know if him being not like, you know, it's easy. It's easier to other him and blame him for your problems. I don't know what is driving it, but. You know. It's unpleasant. I mean, I, I don't know if it speaks as far as being a racist fan base. I don't think so. Um, but I mean, it's, just, it's unpleasant. Like, I don't think it's not really a question of like, what's in your heart? Are you doing this for racial reasons? Are you a racist fan base? The fact is, is like the way that this manifests time and time again is targeted towards people of color on this team. And like, I watched disproportionately Winks, speaking, right? Yeah. I watched Harry Winks play for this club for like eight years without getting booed once and 
anybody deserved it. I swear to God, it was that man. But like, you know, a, a lot of our recent scapegoats are black players, you know, Suzuko and Davinson and Emerson in just the last couple of years and have gotten a much harder time than a lot of other players who are bad and white. And like, yeah, people don't like Hoybier. People don't like Eric Dyer. People aren't booing Eric Dyer from the stands and people, uh-uh. you know, could, he's made plenty of mistakes that led to goals and cost his games. Like, you know, so the way it is, it is manifested and, and the, how these different scapegoats get treated is, is very clearly different in, in terms okay. of race. And you know. even even if you look at like you know I think you can pull out some if you wanted to do some counterfactuals like Luka Modric not well liked his first season or so at the club there are players you can pull that out but that like you said it keeps happening to a certain to players with a certain color of skin is not I, I think entirely a coincidence and I can't speak to exactly why it keeps happening but it clearly I mean, keeps can. happening you can say it. Yeah, well, <laughs> you can, racism. You can say racism. Yes. You know, like we can pat ourselves in the back for being equal opportunity and having white scapegoats too, but like that's not really the the question that we're talking about. You know, it is. You know, hounding Kyle Walker off social media years ago. It is doing the same to. You know, plenty of players over time that are just disproportionately players of color. Mm-hmm. It's a shame, and it's like, like again, this is why why it's like there's just no good reason to boo any player on your own team unless they are flipping you off and you know or joining Arsenal. Like you know, there's just it's right. not helpful. Right, we're all pulling in the same direction here. Yeah. Don't don't boo players. Don't be racist. It's fine to boo Saul Campbell. But, sure. like, again, a- appropriately. Appropriate, yes, fair. <laughs> like, don't sing about, like, Adebayor fucking washing elephants. You know, like, we don't, it's not like we have a clean history here. I'd yeah. forgotten all about that song. I really oh, had God. forgotten that one. Man. Yeah. Well, that was pleasant. Uh, Football's talk- great, isn't it? <laughs> Let's move on to other uh, unresolved issues from our past. Namely, when Spurs fans aren't doing uncomfortable things directed at Davidson Sanchez. We are uh, chanting for Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, we didn't talk about this last week because I wanted to wait till you were here, Ben, so we could have a full conversation about it. But I feel like the sentiment as things are not really picking up post-Conte um, has really grown more and more amongst the fan base to bring Pochettino back. And one thing that I think is... You know, and again, these are sort of two different areas of Spurs fandom because I think the sort of general Spurs fandom just kind of misses the old days and wants the good manager back who we all probably agree shouldn't have been fired. And he would probably agree he, you know, I think Levy would probably agree with that to some extent. But the other hand is I feel I feel like I see a lot of the people on Spurs Twitter talking about it who also harp on process. They talk about Spurs need to hire a director of football. Paratici sucks. We need to have like a targeted, coherent plan to bring in players. And also we should hire Mauricio Pochettino back. And I think these are a little at uh, these impulses are a little at odds because I think if Pochettino comes back and I think this is what he wants, he's just going to be sort of had a wild amount of authority over this team and how it is constructed and 
any director of football would basically be a puppet for him. How do you, do you feel like bringing Mauricio Pochino back is a good idea, Ben? I think, you, you know, you raised all of the important points about why it might not be. And I think there is a very, very small needle to thread where he comes back and is coming back with an understanding that there will be a structure around him that he has to be a part of. And, you know, like that could happen. I think it's extremely unlikely for those to be the, you know, the factors of his, his rehiring that, that, that is laid out and accomplished in any kind of coherent way that allows Pochettino to go back to being the head coach and not the, you know, dictator for life that he would like to be at Spurs. And I think a lot of fans would like to be at Spurs. Um, but, you know, I think generally speaking, you're right. It is totally at odds with the kind of process that we need to withstand a sort of, you know, long-term competition at the top of the table. Like, even if Pochettino comes back and is great, he's only going to be great for so long. You know, the last time it was like four years. You know, and if Pochettino leaves again, which he's going to because that's what happens in football, you know, we will once again not be equipped to handle that transition to a Pochettino's future. And so, you know, it's not it's not the kind of basket you want to put all your eggs in. I understand why we all want it, because it was good and if it was good then it'll be good now. And who cares about the future? I just want to feel good again. And I think that's a dangerous short term way of thinking that I would also just be happy to see him back in the dugout. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, two months ago, I was like very much no Pochettino. I don't want him anywhere near this team. You know, nothing good can come from, you know, going back to your ex. But now I kind of want it to happen. Like, I just want, like, a little bit of happiness. And, you know, look, I absolutely appreciate what Ben said about, you know, process and, and the, you know, that, you know, he'll be here for three or four years and then he'll leave. But, like, also, that's kind of the case with whoever we're going to hire, I think. You know, like, like that just is the nature of football. Like, best case scenario, you have someone for, you know, five, six, seven years. That really seems to be kind of like the outer limit of of a coach's longevity now, unless you're talking about, you know, some of the truly elite managers in the game. And and so to. To not do it because, well, eventually it'll be bad. It, we would just never have a manager. Um, but so I, th- I think my thing is, is with Pochettino at the very least. You have a guy that you know loves this club, that loves being here, that views this place and this club as like a home. And we're not his second choice. We're not a backup plan. I mean, unless the Real Madrid job opens up, which is going to, but whatever, whatever. Don't don't, don't worry about that. Um, but no, I, I, I just think like, that to me is very compelling and interesting. And also I know what it's like. And I remember how good it was when it was really good. And I just want like that, even when it was bad, it wasn't this bad. And and I, I want it back a little. It's, I totally understand. Like the dopamine hit will be incredible. 
the way he connected with his club. I think we all want that back with someone. And I think, you know, I think if you think about other teams in world football, that's incredibly rare to see a manager who's sort of got that kind of connection with a fan base. That's really hard to find. I mean, you look at, we've had some successful managers at this club who, you know, don't, did not have that. And it's something that you chase, but I think it's important to remember that like, there's, what was it, like 18 months where we didn't have a signing? I mean, that was a product of the dysfunction at Spurs. And some of that dysfunction was Mauricio Pochettino. That was, they couldn't go out and get a guy like Tielmans or, um, you know, it, or it was Pochettino being fixated on getting Frankie DeBoer into Spurs when, like, Barcelona, before they got completely screwed up and financially, were also going after him, which, you, you know, that's sort of... Like, okay, you can go after a guy like that if you want, but you really better be prepared to have a plan B because it's going to be, you know, if it's Spurs or Barcelona, as much as I hate Barcelona, I'm, I'm a realist about these things. You know, you better be prepared to accept something else. And, you know, it got real incoherent and real unrealistic for a while, even if you concede that maybe Pochino's mellowed out a little bit. Maybe now we have a little bit more money to spend. The stadium's not going to mess things up, so we'll be able to, you know, attack. we'll have pl- – people in place to attack things a little bit more. Like, I think that is something to be worried about. And, you know, I, I think some of the stuff about us, the, the front, the kind of front office structure that we need, I think some people overstate the degree to which some things need to be done. But I think if you consider bringing back Pochettino, I think you really have to think hard about, like, I think he would exacerbate. I think it's likely he would exacerbate some of the dysfunction that we've seen at this club in terms of bringing in players and having a strategy for the future. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I think, you know, when I said like, we're going to just not hiring him would be bad because of what comes next. And you're right, Brian, that that's not the reason not to do it. The reason is, is we also need these structures in place for Pochettino's tenure for it to be successful because for all the reasons Greg said, the more control he got over recruitment and, you know, off the field decisions, the worse things got. And, you know, these, the beginning of the end was written when Paul Mitchell left and Pochettino kind of became the guy in charge of our transfers. You know, we got very lucky giving him the kind of squad that he could take and turn into a team that was young and hungry and willing to press and capable of pressing, you know, at the level he, he required. Now we have this like, Frankenstein squad with some really old players that without major investment is just not capable of playing the kind of football that Pochettino had us playing, you know, in his heyday. So I don't trust that a Pochettino led Spurs is capable of rebuilding the squad to play Pochettino football. And so, like I said, if we, you know, manage to like thread that needle and get all that other stuff happening as well, Maybe this can work, but I mean, I guess my, my big worry, Brian, going back to what you were saying earlier is you were talking about it's never a good idea to go back to your ex-girlfriend. And certainly I, I know people who have gotten back together with people they broke up with and it has worked out. But there seems to be something about lying to yourself about like, well, if he's learned the lessons he needs to learn from the from the when our relationship fell apart, it'll be fine. And it's just. You know, I feel like if an Arsenal fan was saying this, we would just be laughing at them. <laughs> and 
It's I, a big risk to take. It's a bigger risk than, and I understand why Spurs fans want it, but I think it's a bigger risk than a lot of people are sort of grappling with. I guess my other thing, um, you know, kind of to to Ben's point is, I just don't really have the confidence that this team puts that pro those processes and procedures and builds out the backroom staff in a, in any sort of way. I don't have confidence that we do that, regardless of who we appoint as the manager. Um, and so I guess then my thinking is then who is the best manager for the team and the club and what, what am I going to enjoy the most? And and that's why I think I, I get pulled back to Pochettino. I agree with Ben, like absolutely him having all the power and being involved in the signings and stuff. That's not good, but we also don't have any, any indication that any of these other candidates being involved to that extent is going to be good. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, maybe that's a little bit pessimistic in a way of the looking at the club and, and the way we're doing things, but there's, you know, there's doesn't seem to be the sort of desire to implement these structures, regardless of who we're going to hire. So I get, I get that. I think that's totally like a real reason to be concerned. Um, I do think that hiring the Man City guy, Scott Munn, that's his name. Like is a sign that that is something we're looking to do. Um, so I'm not as skeptical of of those processes being put in place as I was a week ago. You know, before that hire, like that to me is a pretty good signal. But I think you know, if you say like, oh well, we're not moving forward anyway, so we might as well get the guy who makes us feel good. I think it's kind of chicken and egg situation. Signing Pochettino is a real signal that we're not taking those steps signing somebody else is at least an acknowledgement of moving forward. And I think so much of the last four years have gone wrong because it's been trying desperately to cling on to what we've had and squeeze the last drops out of guys who we maybe should have sold and refreshed and whatever. And this just feels like one more attempt to like get the band back together and like make it like it used to be and not recognizing that like we need to move on and move forward and change as a club, as a team, you know, in, in a lot of ways and bringing Pochettino back feels like the, another version of hiring Jose or Conte to just make the Harry Kane version of Spurs work one last time the way it used to. Like we had hired him two years ago when we hired Nuno, it was like, yeah, they were still in their late 20s. We still had time to, like, make something happen out of this. I would have been fine with it. But I think another two years of it going south in so many ways, it's just like, I don't want to look backwards anymore. To me, there's been a lot of talk about, and we said it on this podcast, lots of other Spurs people said it, when they're looking for the new manager, they want someone who doesn't think this job's beneath them. And from a vibe standpoint, I absolutely want that. But when I think of that as a criteria, to me, the important thing is whoever comes in next needs to be prepared to ride this shit out because it's probably not going to go perfect. There's going to be some rebuilding involved. There's going to be some bumps in the road. And when I hear, you know, because I think we're actually not being linked with like, I mean, Brendan Rogers friends in the media tried to link him to us, but I don't think that's real. We're not linked with like, there's not a coach where you're just like, oh, God, like, you know, like Poch, like, uh, po- not Poch, you know, like Mourinho, um, where you're just like, what are we thinking? Like, you can understand why every candidate, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not a coherent list, but, you know, these are all guys who play relatively front foot. They have some interesting ideas. You can understand why a team like Spurs in the position that we're in would be looking at those 
managers. What I want is someone who comes in here and is not like if things just don't go right immediately. And I'm not talking about them being a disaster. I'm like, think about like Pochino's first year where the results are like, okay, they're good some weeks. They're not as good other weeks. There's some work to do. There's some, you know, you kind of need to sand the rough edges down a little bit. I want someone who's ready to stick around for that. And I think one of the problems of hiring Pochettino or a Luis Enrique or whatever is there's going to be different expectations around this club of immediate success. Pochettino, for instance, I think a lot of people are going to just need to, like, you know, okay, well, how did Spurs play, you know, the year they made the Champions League final? I think a lot of people are going to want that. And, you know, maybe he's willing to ride it out, understands this is a long game. I think that's more likely than... You know, he's going to surrender control of the front office, but I just want a manager who's going to be here for the long haul or, and I, I don't mean like Brian, you were talking earlier about like, how long does a manager last? I'm not talking, I, we need to hire an Arsene Wenger for Spurs. We need to hire someone who's going to be here for 20 years. That'd be great if we did it, but we saw how hard that was with Pochettino. Um, I'm talking about someone who's just not like, if this thing isn't clicking, within a year, it's a fucking disaster and we need to move on or that guy's on the hot seat. I need someone who's like going to be around to make this thing work for a little while. Well, and I I'm a little wonder, I'm a little curious if Pochino's with all the weight of expectation is going to be able to do that. It, I think to your point, I think, I think something that a lot of us fans want is someone that when you have that rough first year or the rough first six months or whatever, that you don't then hold a press conference where you turn it around and say, well, this is just the culture at the club. And we have a lot of guys here that are weak minded individuals and we don't have winners who will go out there and slit throats and whatever other bullshit we've gotten over the last three or four years. Like I want a guy who's just going to be like, yeah, we haven't been good enough. We're working on it every day and, you know, we're going to turn it around. Like, yeah, I I, I totally understand that. Like, you know, not that just that they're going to stick around or that the management is going to back them, but that they're not going to turn around and start taking pot shots at the club because, you know, going back to what we said at the very beginning of this discussion, because they don't think that being here is beneath them. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. It's just really, it's it's really frustrating because there's no news right now. Right. So we like, there's no real links in the paper. Like, there's no not like it doesn't seem to be like things are happening, and jobs just keep opening up. Like the Chelsea job is open now, and you know. Real Madrid's season is closer to wrapping up, and we know their job is going to open up. PSG's job is going to f- maybe open up. Like, I would just like us to do something. Yeah, it's fresh. I mean, it's frustrating that we kind of had the opportunity to move before a lot of these other clubs, and we seem to have surrendered that advantage. And I'm fine with getting our ducks in a row and whatever, but it it's possible a lot of wheels are turning. I mean, allegedly Paratici's, you know, meeting with Enrique in his jail cell right now and, you know, having, having calls with Will Still, uh, you know, maybe stuff's happening. We just don't know about it. You know, Sh- the other day, Shelby like, on, what was that? Chubby Kulashevsky, Will Still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the other day, Twitter got it in their heads that Vincent Company was, like, definitely happening. People got to like be excited about that for a minute, and it's like we're all just grasping at straws and making shit up. Well, it's honestly, in some ways, it's like the best thing about being a Spurs fan right now, and it's which is sad considering like we're still in a pretty 
decent league position considering how this year's gone. And like, we do have some fun players, but like, you know, oh, it is fun to be like, oh, well, like, look at what company's done at Burnley and like these videos make him look so charming. And what would that be like? And, you know, oh, well, what if we lose him to City? Oh, well, that's a good problem to have. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's like a transfer window. It's like, oh, the, the vast array of possibilities lined up before us. Like, you know, that's more exciting than, you know, fucking watching us lose to Bournemouth. How do you guys actually feel about company? Because that right now, if I had to guess, that that's the one, the name that has the most momentum behind it. It seems like I'm I'm more okay with it than I would have imagined. Like having now that like some Spurs fans are taking it seriously and like you know you're reading a little bit about it and you're hearing anecdotes. Like it's I still think that's not what I'd like us to do, but I I don't think it would be the incredibly bad idea that I would have said like probably even a few weeks ago. Which was, uh, which is admittedly an uninformed opinion. Yeah, I mean, like hiring the guy who won the championship is just like feels like a really big step, even if he's the professional that he is. You know, Vincent Company, like won a, a million guy. titles, like legendary player. Maybe he gets along really well with Yaya Torre, who's already at the club coaching the youth, like. I don't know, like maybe it's it's great. Like if it was just like some guy who you'd never heard of before coaching this Burnley team, you know, I think everyone would be a lot more hesitant to say, yeah, the guy who won the championship, that's who we should be hiring. Well, um, like think about like Graham Potter, like he was at what Swansea, Swansea first yeah. and they didn't they weren't even like winning the championship. They were just, you know, playing really good football. And and he still had to make his stop in Brighton for what like three four years before Chelsea was like okay yeah you can do this. And how that turned out? <laughs> yeah. If yeah, only we'd like, hired him instead. I mean, you know, I think the competition for players and managers at the very top levels is tough, and being able to get guys before they you know, blow up and become the obvious person you should sign um, is good. Like, that's good to be able to do that. But, you you know, signing the wrong manager from a kind of strange place can blow up a lot worse than signing, like, a player from a league that isn't, you know, generally considered, you know, where you would sign players for immediate impact on a top four race. You know, it's like... So you got to get this right. And like, if we well, look where Spurs are, like, the guy, I mean, look where Spurs are. We got to go through this like 10, eight games, whatever it's been with like a, a replacement manager. It's awful. It's terrible. Like, you know, you can't even like muddle through to like, Oh, there's three weeks left in the season. We'll just have Ryan Mason do it for less than a month, which is like not great, but you know, it is what it is. But you know, like you said, Brian, like Chelsea tried to do what I would imagine a lot of people would consider the smart thing. They went with Graham Potter. I know a lot of Spurs fans who would have wanted Graham Potter. And, you know, Chelsea's such a rat's nest that, like, I don't know if you can entirely lay it at his doorstep, even though I'd like to. But, you know, it's so much of hiring a manager is just, you know, like there's ways to make an informed decision. You can be educated, but it's just making a bet, especially at a team like Spurs, that, when this guy takes the next step, he's going to really succeed. And we hit the jackpot with Mauricio Pochettino. But, you know, we saw it with AVB, like didn't really work. Wasn't a total. Dis- well, it kind of was a total disaster, but not immediately. But, um, you know, AVB was not a guy you could hack it at this level. And 
you know, you're making a bet, you know, with any manager who's ready to take a step up, but like that's a big step from where company is. I think the thing that speaks well for company making that step up is that, you know, he's not just like there with like the most expensive assembled squad in the league, you know, grinding out results. Like he has tactically changed them and made them a good footballing unit that plays attacking football that scores a lot of goals and coming into a club like Spurs from that position is hard for all the reasons you said, but being, you know, a guy whose name everybody at the club knows and all the players will respect immediately, you know, makes that transition a lot easier. He's not just like Graham Potter, who was like, you know, a youth pastor or whatever, like, you know, he's Vincent company. Well, no, because there's there was like a quote about Potter, like his last few weeks of the club, he was like talking to people, like, "Wow, how do the players feel about me?" And it's like, whatever else is going to happen to Vincent Company when he if he if he was hired as our manager, like he's going to understand how a locker room like that works at the level that like you know a team that's like a Champions League ish, like he's going to get that element of it. Like if he doesn't succeed at Spurs, it'll be for other reasons. I mean, you guys say that, but like Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard exist as managers. And but I mean, is that the reason that those teams didn't succeed? Like, I don't think who, who knows. I don't think Frank Lampard was like walking around being like, Man, do they like me? Like, how's this? Like, what's the vibe of the locker room? Like, that's not. I mean, he's he failed because he doesn't know how to run tactics. But I think the thing with those guys though is they get a lot of rope when they get here, and like you know, you still have to like play well and like be successful or that rope's going to run out real quick, but like you get it to start with. And the, the players aren't going to be coming in, giving him like dumb nicknames based off of Harry Potter. I mean, it would be something different, but you know what I mean? Like he's not going to walk in having to like earn the player's respect, which is like what you said, Ben, they, they, they get a lot of rope is the, is the benefit of hiring. He's got to do the work to keep it. Yes. But you know, and I'm not saying this is like, I don't, want to hire a guy just because he's the kind of name the clubhouse respects. Like that's who fucking Conte and Mourinho were. And obviously that didn't work, but you know, I'm just saying when we're talking about these kinds of guys, that's, that is an advantage that he has that kind of smooths out some of the concerns. But yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're comparing him to like, you know, one of the like smaller names on, on the list, like um, slot, um, it, like you know, he's slot is obviously coaching at a at a bigger club. He's doing things in European competition, like he's 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 doing like things that what we would consider like the top level in in European football, and and company is doing them in the second division. And when he was you know in the first division in Belgium, he was meh. So like you know. I, I I think, though, like you guys said, if company comes in, he gets more free reign than Slot does because Slot has to prove that he belongs in this league and that he's not another Dutch manager like Frank De Boer who doesn't know what he's doing or you know whatever. So, so yeah, I think I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about company overall. I'd I I'd have to. I've not watched any Burnley this year. I, I don't have any informed opinions. I guess my only uninformed opinion is like, I wish he had a little more experience at the very top level. Like whether that involved like, you know, managing in 
in France or the Netherlands or Belgium or whatever in the in the top flight or whether that involved, you know, being the manager at fucking Southampton for a season or whatever. Like you just want to see something because I, I think I think you talk about you, we talked earlier about jumps like championship to Premier League is and especially where we envision ourselves being in the Premier League is a big jump. Like Pochettino came from he'd been managing at Espanol which they weren't exactly great, but like he was playing Real Madrid and Barcelona regularly. He was competing. I think he made it to the Spanish, uh, the final of the Copa del Rey one season while he was there. Like he, he was, won it. But yeah. Uh, but like they were good. And then, you know, he comes to Southampton and he does some interesting things with that Southampton team. They finish around mid table. Like I think they, the high finish with him was like 12th or something. I think they had, um, you know, like that's, that's what I want to see. That's the kind of thing that I'm like, oh, this guy has it. Like you have to do so much more projection from top of the championship to where we are. And I, I think with company, a lot of it is it's just he's doing so much better than any of us would have expected for a guy with for an ex player and an ex player with that little experience. So, you know, I think that's something to be wary of because I think Gerard got a little bit of the same when he was at Rangers. Like it was like, oh, this is going better than you would have thought. Um, all things considered. Um, even though there was like skepticism over it being in Scotland, but yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's just, at least now we can just dream on it. And it's like, you know, in our heads, a company coach Spurs team has to be better than the dreck we're seeing Stellini put out there every week, even though that's not necessarily true. And for the record, Pochino finished eighth at Southampton. It was a good season. (laughs) Good. Let's. Take, we're going to have plenty of opportunities to take uh, to talk about these managerial search because I don't think we're going to sign anyone anytime soon. Let's talk about let's some of our listener questions. We're going to start with one that actually has to deal with the team, and then I think we're going to get off topic real fast. Uh, Marcel Dunn um, from Twitter asks, he wants to know how much faith do you have in the club to pull itself out of this spiral? Um, I mean, personally... I have probably too much faith in Daniel Levy and the club based on what we've been given over the past five years. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, you know, like Ben said earlier, you just have to get this managerial hire right. Like it, whether you get it right for the next two to three years or whether you get it right for the next seven, like, this is just one that has to hit like, you know, uh, Pochettino hit. And then the two after or three, I guess I forgot. Nuno, um, we're, we're duds and we can't have four consecutive dud hires. And, and so that, that's the only way we kind of pull ourselves out of this is that if the, that hire is great. And so then the question becomes, do I have faith in, <laughs> in us to make the right hire. And I think we just spent like 20 minutes talking about why I'm not really sure I do have faith that we'll do that. I mean, I have faith because that like by the strict definition of the word, because like if I didn't have faith, I would just give up and stop watching this team altogether. You know, like I have to believe that something good is possible with this team or what's the point. So like, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily think we will get ourselves out of this spiral, but I definitely have like faith that we will. 
I think the key word here is spiral because um, it's not just that we've been bad to me. It's that, Ben, you were talking about this earlier, this like we keep trying to make the same thing work and we augment it and we tweak it, but we're not doing the sort of major surgery that needs to be done. I think even if you hang on to Harry Kane and Son, which I think is not that unlikely, I think it's more, I think it's more likely than a lot of Spurs fans think. I think even if you hang on to those players, even if you extend to Harry Kane, this cycle of just like trying to keep the dream alive has to stop. Like they need to put new <laughs> players in this team. They need to start building something different. Some of the names on that list make me think that they understand that. Others, I'm a little more like, you know, like Pochino and Luis Enrique in particular make me a little more skeptical that they do understand that. Um, you know, I think it's possible. I don't know if I would bet on it at this point. Um, yeah. I think I the know. Brendan Rodgers era is going to be better than you think. God. He's going to have a lot of envelopes. A lot of people are going to be letting him and the team down. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Will he bring the, uh, you know, the? Like, I, I'll never forget when they missed out on two Champions League qualifications on the last day. One to a useless Spurs team. That, like, if that had happened to Spurs, we would have just been, like, t- torn to shreds. Everyone would have called us bottlers and all this other stuff. And all these English journalists who are typically very vicious people just responded with, oh, Adam, that's a, too bad, Brendan. You'll get him next time. Like, just try again. Like, so maybe he'll bring that with him, and that'll be, like, the one positive. When we miss out on something, everyone will just tell him what a good job he's doing. And Do you we'll think Matt Law would, like, write a really nice article about him? Yes, I think he would, actually. Some favorable maybe, coverage maybe from the would, Daily Telegraph. Maybe he'd let Matt Law down by coming here, and he wouldn't. So, wonder if he has a dog. <laughs> uh, our next question, uh, Ben. I'll let you start with this for reasons I don't understand. Uh, Matt it comes from Matt. He wants to know if you could have any car in the world in full, fully working, pristine condition, which car would you choose? Oh, uh, I mean, no question. I would bring my 97 Miata back to life <laughs> that I drove for a really long time. I miss it dearly. I remember the first time you gave me a ride in that car, I was very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but Not I was the car that I cool? You, drive. you didn't think I was that cool? Yeah. <laughs> sure. That's that's the word for it. <laughs> Man, it's such a fun little car. Sorry. Brian, which, Can you which, drive a stick, Greg? If you could, you understand. Yeah, I guess that's why I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I also cannot drive a stick, which means that that like you know, like the dream car that I've always had, I I can't drive. I I've always there was a kid at my high school when I was a freshman. He we played on the soccer team together, and he had like a really nice old, uh, I think it's 1970 Chevelle, and it was just. It was great. Like his dad, like restored hot rods and owned the garage in the small town that I lived in. I was very jealous of it. Um, so I'd like that car, but it's a stick. I can't drive it. So I think the thing that would be the most fun is to have the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Um, I, I just, you, you would get a lot of attention. And I think in South Florida, it would be a lot of fun. Um, I mean, driving on the interstate would be difficult, but I think everything else would be, you know, just a lot of fun to have as your daily driver. 
we were at a bar the other day and the planters mr peanut mobile rolled up in the parking lot next door like the fucking full peanut car and i have never seen a bar empty as fast like <laughs> 50 people just like ran outside to like get a look at this fucking peanut mobile so yeah i i get the appeal i'm gonna go i don't think my son would forgive me if i didn't choose a monster truck so i'm gonna say gravedigger uh you know i would like to drive gravedigger around just because my son would get a kick out of that so or, or it might be a little gross. Uh, my son would also get a kick out of Lightning McQueen. Um, I'm not sure how that would work, but uh, <laughs> it feels like a questionable situation. Like when you sit in his brain, how do you look through the eyes? I don't know how it would work, but my son would definitely like to have a Lightning McQueen. Uh, our next question, Ben, I think this one is definitely from you. This comes from Rob Dirks. Uh, do you guys play FPL? <laughs> no, I do not. What do you play, Ben? Uh, I do play a draft-style Premier League fantasy league and have for, like, eight years. And, uh, yeah, it's really fun. It's way better than FPL. Yeah, I don't, I, like, uh, I don't like FPL. No, nah, I don't either. And I, I, I quote-unquote, participated in the one of the leagues that Ben plays in uh, years ago. Um, and I can't play FPL because I can't fucking remember when all the games are, and I'm not going to set my lineup 14 times based on who's sitting or not in a given... Uh, I, it's it's stupid. The only good fantasy is NFL fantasy because the games are only on, like, three fucking days, and there's basically two time slots that they happen in, and it's you have a week worth of news coverage about who's playing and who's not. Um, it's so much easier for someone like me who is very, very simple. Um, and also I suck at FPL and the draft style one that Ben does. So I like, I was in, I think the inaugural league and then I fell out, but that site sucked, Ben. Like that, is it any better? So they've redesigned its sites called fan tracks. Uh, if you want to give us paid ads, <laughs> ad reads on the pod, you know, let me know fan tracks. Uh, they've redesigned the site. It's a little, a little more user-friendly. But it still sucks. It still kind of sucks, but it's fine. Okay. Whatever you pick, um, you guys, you put them in a team. Like what? What do you? No, do it's a good system. I just for? like I, I play fantasy baseball that way on Yahoo, and it's just much better than fan tracks. But anyway, um, Tom Wedge has a, a tragically another Spurs-related question. Uh, is is Luis Enrique another one elsewhere manager who makes no sense for our squad? I think you have to do the most adjustment to the squad with him like we don't have like too many guys that are going to be able to play a short passing possession heavy style of play and especially in the midfield I mean you know you can you can probably shoehorn all of our attackers into that style you can probably use Romero and Poro um uh, in in playing that way, but like we we don't have a single midfielder that can pass the ball, let alone you know some guy who just like ticks over possession and keeps things moving. Um, yeah, I I, I I don't know. He he's he's the hardest one to see, and he is also the one who is like Spurs. He is the most likely to feel the Spurs are beneath him. Yeah, and uh, Nagelsmann could think feel that way too. To be fair. Yeah, but he's like less established enough where you can kind of, and you know, you can kind of see it where it makes sense to him for like rebuilding his image after kind of the failed Bayern year. 
like Luis Enrique doesn't really need to rebuild anything. He can have whatever job he wants. And maybe Nagelsmann can too. I don't know. But like, you know, less than a full season and, you know. I mean, I think the way the Bayern has completely collapsed in his absence uh, his speaks pretty well for him. Um, and I think he definitely has his kind of pick of jobs. I think if he came to Spurs, he would be making a real choice that he wants to come to Spurs. Uh, in Do you a think way that applies that, to Enrique, Luis Enrique? I don't know. I mean, I and this is maybe a stupid double standard, but no, I don't feel the same way about so Enrique. He, I feel like he stuck with us. Nagelsmann has time on his side. Yeah. Well, I think Nagelsmann's closer to being like a tinkerer, um, like with his Red Bull squad and to an extent his Bayern squad that I feel more comfortable with it. Also, he's like great tactically and I would love it. But what worries me about Luis Enrique is, A, I mean, I hated watching his national team, which I don't entirely hold against him because international football is weird. And, you know, like, I don't know, maybe maybe that's an endemic of how he plays, but like, you know, it could just be international football. What worries me more is like he does seem to have a way that plays that's like just so. And I really worry about like I think putting a Spurs team together for him might take a while. And I'm not sure he's sort of like down for the process. Like, oh, we might finish in the Europa League or the Conference League one year. It might be kind of like Pochettino's first year or worse. It might this might take a while. And I could see him getting sick of the process and not being able to get it together immediately. And that's what gives me real pause with him. Yeah. So, um, okay, this is another actual question. Uh, as an American Spurs, this comes from Malcolm Developer. <laughs> um, he wants to know, as an American Spurs fan, what drew you to Spurs? Uh, there's tons of differences in attitude of players and fans. Like, what brought you here? Um, uh, I'm back. Me? Yeah, Ben, let's start with you. Sorry, and you're all looking at me. I thought you were going to answer this question. Uh, I mean, it was 2006. I had just watched the World Cup. I was looking for a team. I was watching all the games and just trying to find somebody I vibed with. And uh, a combination of Aaron Lennon and Dimitar Berbatov stole my heart. And that was that. Yeah, I, I mean, the easy access that we have to the Premier League now really kind of like makes people that are coming in now have much more informed opinions than we could have when we first came in. Um, like for for me anyway, like you had Fox Sports World or Fox Soccer and like you got like two or three games a weekend. And so you wanted a team that was going to be good enough to be on TV sometimes and for me, I didn't really want to. Um, so that meant you kind of had to pick from like the next best of the rest. And it was kind of like at the time it was like or the teams that I remember being kind of interested in at the time were like Manchester City and Aston Villa and, and Spurs. And then I eventually landed on, well, I, I like Robbie Keane and Robbie Keane plays for Spurs. So that's what we're going to go with. So I mean, it's not like I, I didn't make some great informed decision. <laughs> Yeah, it was no, like I, close I, to being like Bolton Wanderers or <laughs> like Sam Allardyce had them playing really good football with Anelka and El Hodge Doof. And I was like, oh, this is this is a team that's going to be great forever. 
I, I feel like my is very similar to Brian, but a few years later, because I, I kind of got into soccer during the 2010 World Cup and I wanted to watch a club team. And, you know, like a lot of Americans, I made the decision. I want to support a team that's good enough to be like hanging around the top of the table, but no one's going to call me a glory hunter. So that ruled out like that sort of traditional top four, like United, Arsenal, um, Liverpool and Chelsea. And City was just kind of getting their act together. There was a time I thought, oh, maybe it's fun to root for the bad guy. But, you know, it, it really came down to it was like Villa because they were kind of in a similar position to Spurs at the time. That's sort of almost Champions League. They didn't have the breakthrough. But, you know, they still had the powerhouse. Um, and um, Everton was another popular American team. They had they just had Landon Donovan on, on loan for half a season before the World Cup. Um, but ultimately, I caught the first game in 2010, and even though he didn't score, Gareth Bale just like was going crazy on Man City, and that was kind of where you know I just liked it. From there, I started reading about the club. I liked a lot about their history, and it was just appealing. And you know, I guess I'm a born loser because I just was you know attracted to the team. So yeah, I mean, like I had dial-up internet when I picked like Spurs. <laughs> like I. I you yeah, know. but you got you got episodes of that. Uh, you got to watch episodes of that British uh, soap opera about a soccer team. What was it called? Dream Team. Dream Team. Yes, yeah, I, I, that was gone by the time I became a fan. Yeah. No, I mean, but you did have goal. The dream begins. So I did. You know. well, yeah, yes, but that is a gift to the world. So yeah, right. Um, I did have that Fox Soccer because Fox Soccer aired, like you said, like by the time I was fan, like four or five games, they aired. Lots of high reruns of Manchester United games, and they aired those like football rivalry documentaries that were like 30 minutes to an hour that basically involved like players from each team being like, oh, it doesn't matter how the rest of the season goes. What our fans care about is winning this derby. And if we win the derby, it's like, you know, the best the season's been a success no matter what else happens. And I swear to God, someone says that in every single one of these stupid documentaries. But they were yep. fun to watch. Ben, I, this is an important question for you. Eli Given wants to know, do you think he too will be a disappointment? No. Why would he too be a disappointment? Michael Mann rules. This is a book first. Wasn't that weird? Yeah. Well, you got to have an adaptation, right? From Michael Mann. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait, it was a book first? Yeah. They put a book out and it wasn't like a screenplay. It's like a book book. It's weird. Yeah. I haven't read it. Why yet. would they do a good. book about why? Because the story. Yeah. Hollywood it, only does remakes and adaptations. And so you have to have a novel to adapt and say, oh, we have this intellectual property that we're going to adapt. What was the world like before, like Harry Potter and Star Wars and Star Trek? Like, they made, they were there made original movies. ideas they made at all? Which they made movies books. where Al Pacino said she's got a great ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've lost so much. <laughs> Return, right, Ben? Return with a V. Yeah. I just watched uh, Manhunter and Miami Vice this weekend. Two other great Michael Mann triumphs. Not sure uh, if Manhunter's like actually a good movie. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Uh, uh, speaking of Star Wars and IP, unfit for purpose, uh, you know, a slave to IP is as well known. He wants to know with Clone Wars, Rebels, and now The Mandalorian showing a steady decline in quality, is Dave Filoni's Star is there any of Dave Filoni's Star Wars? Is there any hope of Ahsoka being good? The answer is no. These have all been bad. He hasn't made anything good 
since like halfway through Clone Wars. Uh, Rebels is terrible. And has there been any episode of these shows that's been good that doesn't like bring someone back that you recognize? You don't actually care about the characters who are these shows are actually about. It's awful. Go watch something else like Star Trek Picard, which I'm really excited to watch the finale of tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think that question was for Ben and I. Yeah, that uh, was for me. Yeah, uh, speaking of fun. questions for me. Uh, Daniel Williams wants to know what is the best kids TV show from a parent watchability aspect? It's Bluey. Let's be real. Bluey is a show you could show to virtually anyone and they would enjoy it. It is, it is excellent. It is only 10 minutes long. Episodes like uh, Keepy Uppy are among the best episodes of television made in the last 10 years. It's a really good show. It is. Don't laugh. It's good. It's very good. Bluey's excellent. Bluey's you know, excellent TV. I've watched one episode uh, just on the recommendation of like fathers everywhere you know being out with people and everybody has fucking kids except for me and they're like you gotta watch it man <laughs> it's great it's fine yeah. I, the I, thing I, about bluey is bluey is not about the children it is about a perfect father who suffers for with who his, has infinite family. patience by the way yeah with his ungrateful family who don't appreciate him it's yeah. it's, it's an amazing show it actually <laughs> is very very good uh, sounds like it's turning a generation of children against their actual fallible parents I'll yeah. tell you. I'll tell you what has surprised me. Uh, my son got into the Cars movies recently, which are better than you think they are going to be. Like, it was a really surreal moment. He was watching it, and we had to go somewhere, and there was like 15 minutes left in the movie, and my wife was like, "No, no, no, let him play for a little bit. I want to see how this ends." <laughs> they're better than they have any right to be. Um, I don't want to say they're good, but like. As far as, like, children's entertainment, like, you know. I mean, it's Pixar. There's worse things you could do than watch a Pixar movie. But, yeah. Yeah. Bluey's great. I, I don't have kids either. So. Do you just watch Bluey, Brian? Uh, no, I, I have I have friends that have kids. Um, that uh, Friends other than Greg. Um, and I've seen uh, a, a few episodes of Bluey uh, with their children who are, I believe, like, I don't know, five and eight. Um, and they love it. And it was fine. It was totally another fine. another great episode. If you're looking for one, is the one where they do a Law and Order parody about whether or not uh, Bluey's dad farted in Bluey's face in the morning. So that is a very good. Disney did not want to air in America until everyone complained too much and they put it on their streaming service. So anyway, uh, I think that we we need a real serious question to end this on. So this comes from Kenneth. He wants to know. Uh, he says, "I believe the Tottenham the Tottenham squad has been infiltrated by the Thing." Who is still human, and will the team perform better when everyone has been assimilated? I mean, Ken, you're the fifth cinephile here, so I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you run with this. I mean, the problem with the thing is it just creates a cloud of suspicion over everything. You don't trust your teammates, and that is not. So no one will notice the difference, is what you're saying, right? <laughs> so, I mean, we need to be fully assimilated because the in between period is not gonna go well. I, what would Harry Kane do if he had three other legs that might have teeth coming out of them? I mean, it's it's. I mean, how many goals could he score if Tange and Dombele is eating players on the other team so he can run free on goal? Like it's, I think it would only improve us. It can't it can't get worse. It would only improve us. We would finally have this sort of team cohesion that Antonio Conte is looking for. Antonio Conte would find his perfect team in the mutated husk of Tottenham Hotspur that, you know, 
Bruno Fernandez would probably set on fire with a flamethrower. Wow. I super did not understand this question. Peter, have I, you seen the thing? I, well, I really thought it was about the, you the, thought it was about the ben thing Grimm? from Marvel. Yeah, I thought it was about Ben Grimm. And I was like, I don't understand right, how this works right. at all. Um, yeah. The yeah. thing Ben Grimm would be great at soccer. Yeah, I thought that sounded actually really good for us. Um, he'd be better so than Eric Dyer. Rocks. They, they would be a lot better at soccer, is what you're saying. So now I'm Googling this apparently <laughs> interesting movie that I've never seen before. Um, so, yeah. No. So this definitely ends. It's Romero and Richarlison are Kurt Russell and Keith David at loggerheads you know they don't trust each other because they're obviously you know brazilian argentino rivals with beef uh, but they're the toughest guys in the squad and they're the last one standing or are they and uh just ends with them i've just spoiled the thing for everybody but uh no see, well, i mean now i don't have to watch it so it's where charleston where charleston triumphs and when he's having a celebratory brazilian barbecue with all the other brazilian players in london Turns out that they have also been infected. <laughs> right. I think I think Eric Dyer is the Wilfred, Wilfred Brimley character who figures it all out. He's got that like conspiracy Joe Rogan brain. And so is he he's afraid probably, of fire? What? Is he afraid of <laughs> oh, fire? Oh yeah, right. That's true. He's definitely. So he's like he's like the first infected because yeah, you're right. You know, Giveaway. <laughs> See, the thing is afraid of fire, Brian. That's that's the only thing that can kill it. So. But him and the Incredible Torch are such good friends. It, they're, they're human the human torch. Torch. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's late. I'm very tired. Oh, my God. The Incredible Torch. But you should all watch The Thing. It's fucking great. It's a, the Thing is a great movie. It really is very good. You should watch that instead of our game against Newcastle. I'll take it under advisement. <laughs> all right. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? Apparently not being very uh, fluent in cinema. Yeah. I, I don't have a... What's the thing called? The place that sells the movies. Criterion. Yep, I don't have a Criterion collection. <laughs> Clearly. Oh <laughs> uh, God. Uh, where can do, people do find me on the internet? On DVDs? on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. Do you have a collection of DVDs covered in rocks? Uh, I have several Fast and Furious movies in a cabinet somewhere. Do, do you have a Fantastic Four movie in a cabinet somewhere? I would hope. I don't think so. I'm not really into the Fantastic Four. Yeah. How do you feel about Michael Chiklis joining Spurs? What do you think about that? I think that'd be fine. Okay. He's very he's got a very, you know, Big intimidating head. build. He kind of looks like Daniel Levy's son-in-law or brother-in-law or whatever he is. I mean, if we're bringing in Michael Chiklis, we need to bring in the whole Shield squad and like now we're talking. <laughs> you, you you think any of those guys are going to pass a drug test like, for one reason or another? No, but they do know <laughs> how to play ugly and get nasty. This is so many coaches have asked for this team before. So which two Spurs players are most likely to. One is going to kill the other with a with a hand grenade. <laughs> Since we're speaking about the, the now that the I mean, shield squad is going to join. Besides Romero and Richarlison. I mean, probably also Romero <laughs> and Richarlison, but sure. Besides them. Brian. Are you muted? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just thinking very deeply about the question, um, and I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't know. I would say Stellini and Davis and Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, Ben, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> uh, wow, 
<laughs> Way to end things. You made it this far. Dear just if, if just like Spurs. If you made slumping this far, to the finish. We had it. It was it was two two going into stoppage time. The winner was right there, and then we fucking blew it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. Dear listener, if you made it this far, please send us a tweet at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, oh, and you can find me on Twitter, uh, blowing it as well, at Skipjack0079. For Ben, for Brian, I've been your host, Greg. Boy, this went on went on for a while. Uh, come on. Oh, and for Brett Rainbow, we don't want to. We don't want to really cause it. Just end it. <laughs> Put it out of its misery. Come on, you Spurs, please. Hit it with the flamethrower. <laughs>